Thank you. Good morning. It really is a privilege to be here and to be opening God's Word. might like to keep that open there and I'll pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word that you haven't remained distant and hidden but made yourself known. Father, we long to know more of who you are and to live in obedience to your Word and so please send your Spirit to work among us that we would be changed by your Word that we would worship and glorify and rejoice in who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It'd be hard not to notice over the past 10 years or so on TV, there's been a massive increase in the number of cooking shows. Right? I think MasterChef started in 2009. I can rattle off a few. Maybe one of these cooking shows, well, there's MasterChef, Junior MasterChef, MasterChef all Stars, there's My Kitchen Rules, Zumbo's Just Desserts, Food Safari, The Catering Show, River Cottage Australia, Hell's Kitchen, Iron Chef Australia, Surprise Chef, on it goes. Since we can't get enough of watching people cook, eating it ourselves, talking about food. Food is a massive topic of conversation now as well, I think, because of the rise in allergies, right? You can't sort of go anywhere without filling in the form of what are the allergies, anything, dietary requirements that you need to be aware of? It's, it's all around us now in the culture that we are. Diets continue to come into fashion and out of fashion. You may have been recommended the Atkins diet, the fasting 5-2 diet, a low-carb diet, a low-fat diet. Now, it's sugar that you've got to avoid. There's the paleo, Weight Watchers. On it goes. Easy to be overwhelmed by the talk of food and diet. Surely it can't be that hard to feed our bodies. Right, and just sustain ourselves. But in Australia, we also have an obesity problem. So according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, percentage of obese adults in Australia in 1995, 19%. It increased to 28% by 2015. So in 2015, there were children, 25% of our children were considered overweight or obese. In 2015, there were more than 22,000 weight loss surgeries that happened in Australia. Our health and well-being is very dependent on what we eat, isn't it? We know our bodies need food. If we don't get food, we'll all get hungry. But how to best feed and nourish our bodies perhaps isn't always as straightforward as what we might think or hope. How do we take care of our... How do we nourish our bodies in the best way possible? Obviously, this comes up in John chapter 6. Uh, there's a strange verse in our reading. Tonga alluded to it in verse 35. So we're on page 982. If you haven't got your Bibles there, this is on 983. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. Now that is... I, know, I find that strange. That kind of... No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. That is a strange thing for a person to say. There are some crazy diets out there, I know. Is this another one that we add to that sort of genre and that list of... How do we feed our bodies? What is Jesus getting at when he says, I'm the bread of life? How's that going to help us? Well, we've been a number of weeks, and haven't we, reading through and looking at John's Gospel, a bit of an update of where we're up to. The big idea so far has been Jesus showing who he is. 
who he is. That's, the, that's what's been coming out of John's gospel up to this point. Jesus performing a miracle, a sign, teaching about it. He turned water into wine. He cleared out the temple. In chapter 5, he healed a man who couldn't walk. And as he's going around doing this, we notice there's a growing opposition to him and his work. That kind of escalated in chapter 5. If you flip back there, chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, 18. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Here is Jesus teaching about God, calling him his father, showing himself to be equal with God. He's not going about doing what people would expect or concerned perhaps so much about what other people think or getting their votes. That's a bit of a theme and topic at the moment, isn't it? All the politicians going out and making whatever, doing whatever they can to get our votes. Jesus has a bigger agenda. And in chapter 6, he uses a food problem, a food problem to show us. So we're going to look again at those two miracles in the first bit of chapter 6, because they then help us understand the teaching that happens in the back half of the chapter. And there's a lot of repetition in what Jesus says about food and eating. So we want to see who Jesus is by looking at the miracles, to understand who Jesus is, to see what he means by being the bread of life and how we're able to feed ourselves the very best of food. So the scene that is put before us, beginning of chapter 6, we are in a physical place. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee at a particular time in history. The Roman Emperor Tiberius Caesar has had this place named after him. These are real events in real time. We'll get back to you later. We're told a great crowd was, huge crowd, following him. Why? Because they'd seen him perform the sign, uh, healing, healing the sick. Now, a bit of a warning flag sort of goes up if you've been reading through John's Gospel and aware that when people are told we're following Jesus because of the miracles he's doing, often it doesn't turn out well. Just file that away. As Jesus settles in to teach, right, there are thousands of people here, thousands. We're told 5,000 men. Commentators will say this could potentially be 20,000 people gathered around and there's an obvious food shortage problem. Just one boy there with five barley loaves, two fish. That's not going to solve it. Um, I was trying to imagine this sort of scenario. Best I could do was sort of picture Penrith saying that you're there to watch a Panthers game, 20,000 people all around you, and you're asked, well, you're told that you have got to buy everyone hot chips. All right, that's going to, it's a lot of money. It's the equivalent here of half a year's salary to feed everyone with just a mouthful, not even provide for them, but just give them a little taste we're set up with a problem of how to feed these bodies but notice verse 4 could have sort of flicked over but it's a little note in there to help us with the timing of things that will give us the context for the meaning of what's going on now the passover a jewish festival was near now the jewish passover was a celebration remembering where God had rescued his people, Old Testament Israel, out of being slavery in Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea into the wilderness, fed them in the wilderness, manna, this food from heaven, in order to bring them to the promised land. 
This was a long time before the time of Jesus, more than a thousand years before. We'll, we'll see the many a bit more as the story goes on. But that's the background for the events in John chapter 6. So the disciples obviously stumped about what to do. Jesus directs them from verse 10. The thousands sit down on the grass there. And using the one boy's little food, Jesus gives them all as much as they wanted. More than they could eat, 12 basketfuls gathered up. That is an amazing provision, isn't it? Jesus doesn't send them on their way. Jesus doesn't, well, he provides for them. And he does it miraculously. Obviously a work of God. That's how the people there took it in verse 14. The people saw the sign he'd done. They said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. And what are they referring to? That, that's, well, the time of the Passover. They're referring to a promise back in Deuteronomy 18 where God said he would send a prophet like Moses, one who would bring the word of God. And the people are looking for someone like Moses to lead them, to lead them out from under the Roman rule and authority to come and take power but in verse 15 therefore when jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king he withdrew again to the mountain by himself jesus isn't going to be forced into be a king on their agenda in their terms are these people these are the people following because of the miracles he's doing the healings that's going on and well he he withdraws the first scene the second scene from verse 16 i think draws further on the passover events under the leadership of moses god brought his people well through the sea as he parted the red sea they could escape on dry ground and here is jesus miraculously walking on the water master over the sea over creation itself it is that is who he is no wonder the disciples in the boat were frightened at such an extraordinary display. The scene of Jesus feeding the 5,000, the scene of Jesus walking on the water, leads to the third scene of, well then, what do you do with these miracles? Seriously. It kind of gives us a problem to try and understand or understand what do you do with them? Many people today, I think, have a problem with miracles, but it's a problem that was back there as well. And in order to understand the response of what Jesus goes on to talk about, to, you know, in dealing with the supernatural, I want to just outline a few ways we have, a few options or ways people might deal with miracles, how people can respond. Usually we'll, we will respond to the, reading this sort of thing uh, in a way that's just based off our prior assumptions. Uh, the way we view and understand the world will dictate um, what we do with these stories. Do you believe that the world consists just of what we see and, and touch, the, the physical realities, the world is a closed system, there is no God? Anything outside of the ordinary, the miraculous, um, well, it's doubtful in some way. 
right? It'll be unreliable evidence. We'll, it'll be discredited. Maybe if we're not sure now, we're, we're confident that it will be shown to be discredited and, and not reliable soon enough, right? It's just impossible for a man to be walking on the water. You cannot feed 5,000 plus people with five little loaves and, and two fish. And so you're sort of left with two options in this way of, of dealing then with, with the story. You can just reject the story as if it's a myth. It's made up because it can't really happen. So it's a made up. But, but these are stories that, well, that take place in a particular time, in a particular place. There were eyewitnesses. There's written evidence here. To reject the Bible as made up, uh, it's not based on assessing the evidence before you. That's a prior assumption that you've brought to your reading. It's a decision you've made before coming to the Bible. Another option to deal with the miracles is to tweak the story a bit. Uh, so people might say, that the, when the thousands of people sat down on the grass, um, they did have food. They just weren't willing to share. They kept it hidden because they could see other people didn't have food and they wanted to eat. And so they kept their own food hidden. But then once the boy came forward and Jesus gave thanks, and well, then people brought out their food and everybody brought out their own food and then they realized there was actually a lot of food and they shared their food around and everybody had more than a, it's not a victory of, of jesus and showing who he is but actually it's a victory of love and of sharing that has triumphed now i think that's a strange way of telling the story if that's actually what happened but people will write that kind of thing in order to explain away what has happened i mean it's hard to imagine people following jesus the next day all over the other side of the lake because he's taught them how to share. Or you see the story of Jesus walking on the water and we'll say, oh, well, it had to be a sandbar that Jesus was walking on. The people just didn't see it in the boat. It was, it was dark. They didn't realize that the sand, as if the, the fishermen who'd had a lifetime of experience on this water couldn't recognize a sandbar. Much better, I think, just to come out and say, well, I can't believe in it. Miracles don't happen than to go down that sort of line. But then you've got to see, well, where does that come from? It comes from a prior assumption, from the way that you have brought into the, your reading of Scripture. There's got to be some sort of distortion or misunderstanding or deception because that's the assumption that you begin with and start with. And so you'll find ways to conclude that to, and to reinforce your, your point, your established view of the world. There are two ways... People might deal with miracles in a materialist kind of way. Another way is, well, of viewing the world that there is a God um, and actually you're constantly looking for evidence of God. The problem is that, well, there will never be enough. Whatever you see, whatever you're looking for, the evidence will never satisfy. Let's look at the response to Jesus in John chapter 6 here. First of all, we get the people who are following Jesus just because of what he's able to do for them. And the material, physical, li literally he's healed, literally he's giving them food to eat. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life 
which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So there we go. They began following because of the healing the sick. They've continued because he gave them food to eat. There sort of seems to be no thought beyond the material, literal, physical side of the realm for them. And Jesus asked another question in verse 28. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one who he has sent. What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. These people, they've, they've eaten food the day before. They're on the other side saying, how did you get here? Jesus just come up and yet, what are they? It's never enough. Give us a sign. What work are you going to do to, to prove it to us? Maybe you've had someone say before they'd believe in God just if he wrote it in the sky. It's got to be more obvious. Like they need more ev- it's never going to be enough. I think the way to approach and to read these miracles is the way that the writer tells us to and shows us to. And notice he doesn't call them miracles. It's not the word that he uses. He uses a different one time and time again. They're always called signs. Signs. Because a sign isn't about a sign. It's about the thing it's pointing to. That's obvious. Hopefully that is obvious to us, but it's worth saying. You'll always look a fool if you mistake the sign for the actual reality, for the thing that you're looking for. Right, this is the first time in the building here, and I'm not sure where the toilets are, but I'm hoping that there'll be a sign somewhere, and I'll see the sign that'll point me towards the toilets, and then on the toilet door there'll be a sign that I'll go through that door. It'll be a mistake, it'll be, for all of us, wouldn't work out well if I mistook a sign for the reality and stopped at the sign. Because it's pointing to something else, right? That's what people do with Jesus. They're following because they got fed, the physical, literal food. But the feeding is a sign pointing them to something greater. They see the sign, but stop it, which means they don't really benefit because that's just the sign. Where you need to get to is where you're being pointed the reality. So they eat the bread, mm, that's good. They get fed, their tummies are full. Let's go get some more of that. Without understanding the food problem that they have, you know, that our food, well, it spoils, we get hungry again and we eat and eat until our bodies will no longer take what we can eat. What signs do these miracles of Jesus signify? I say more than the existence of God. More than the reality of life beyond just the material things. But that Jesus is the way to find satisfaction in life. A life of freedom greater than what Moses brought. A rescue greater than what they experienced under Moses. So the Passover took people out of slavery in Egypt, through the sea, toward the promised land. They were fed along the way but here is the true bread from heaven here is the one who gives life to the world that all who come to jesus will never be hungry the comfort food isn't your um, ice cream or chocolate 
Your comfort food is seeing Jesus as your rescuer for eternal life. Our food problem isn't counting the calories or coconut oil. We'll never find the physical foods that will satisfy us. We'll be disappointed time and time again, desiring more, desiring more. We need something to satisfy us and bring us from spiritual death to life, into a relationship with the living God. In verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is going to give our lives meaning and a purpose. He shows that there's more to life than the physical realities. Life can't be then about how much you have. It cannot be about that. That will always, you'll never be satisfied that way. It cannot be about where you've been or what you've seen and what you've experienced. As good as all these things are and can be, these signs from Jesus point toward himself as being the giver of life, the source of life, the joy of life, the one who can satisfy. Now, the satisfaction is found by following him, taking him into your heart by faith that he would rule in your life that he is who you would desire above all else and being sustained then by his word to you. I'll finish by pointing out some of the responses that people had to Jesus then that we see at the end of the chapter. For some people, the material things become too desirable, don't they? Well, they're always too desirable, unwilling to be let go of. The pleasures of life are too seductive. The cost, perhaps, of following Jesus, too difficult. And so the signs can be seen. They're there before you, but they're not understood or they're ignored or they're turned away from. From verse 66, we read, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied Jesus. Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go, go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here is Jesus. Who is he? He has the power and authority to carry you home. Whatever the struggles of life may be before you, you know, they can leave a bad taste in your mouth. How horrible the events that have happened over in Christchurch. The world is a broken place. The worries of the world burden and weigh down. Yet Jesus came from heaven to feed you with his life, to give his life that we might be lifted up with him. Many people work and work for the food that is perishing. I want to ask, what about you? What are you working for? What kind of food are you desiring? One kind of food satisfies you in a way that leads to eternal life. Another leaves you constantly wanting more. It'll never be enough. So let me lead us in prayer.
I will pray, giving thanks to God for sending Jesus, that we might have eternal life by believing in him. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus, the true bread from heaven. We thank you that he gave his life in order to bring us eternal life. We ask that you would please nourish us for the day and week ahead. Give us a real joy and hope as we trust in him, as we believe in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.